Well, welcome to Sovereign Grace. Um, what an appropriate name for a church, Sovereign Grace. For God is sovereign, and by His grace, we receive redemption and salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this morning, well, as actually about a month ago when Pastor Ben uh, asked me to preach this morning, of course, as Brother Dick has asked me a couple of times, how do you come up with scripture? How do you come up with a topic to preach on? when it's kind of, you know, we, we're pretty much expositional and we go through a book at the time of the Bible. So how do you come up with a topic for kind of a standalone sermon? Well, much prayer and much grace from God, Father. And so seemingly it seems like I come up with something difficult and kind of out of the ordinary each time. I think the last time I preached... Uh, um, I preach from the Old Testament, which is a little bit not so common. Uh, this week, though, I return back to the New Testament, but then um, to a book that you're, you don't commonly um, hear a lot of sermons from, um, the Revelation to John. Um, the Revelation to John, and it's Revelation, not Revelations. It's one revealing um, to John, the Apostle John, the one that you're very familiar with. Amen, brother. One revelation, as verse 1 says in the prologue, the one revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you're confused about the, it's about the symbolic nature of the book and all the things that it throws at you, and it's hard to understand, some people say, and, and, and quite given it is, um, all that we need to know, really, is chapters 1 through 22 is of and for and about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his conquering kingdom as, as, as he conquers. As I heard one fellow say one time is, what is Revelation about? He says, he wins. And that's as simple as it gets, is he wins. So this morning we're going to examine a part of scripture that contains pretty much three different genres of writing. Apocalyptic or revelation. Prophecy and in some parts just letter form, as the epistles are written. The word apocalypse is simply defined as the unveiling of something that was previously hidden. And we will read from Revelation to John for today's sermon. I titled this sermon this morning, The Sin-Sick Church. And I'm afraid that across America today and across the world, we have a lot of sin-sick churches. For we have false teachers and false prophets that have come into the church and are teaching a false gospel. For today's world, there's, the view is there's many gods or we all have our own gods and there's many ways to heaven. And we know that's not true, that there's only one God and, and he's the God that we worship from the Bible. The prologue or introduction in verses 1 through 3 tells us that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So we know that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, just a little background. 
we have to kind of know when um, this was written, um, the audience to whom it was written to. Um, the audience in this case was, for the most part, persecuted. Um, we here in America today don't have to worry much about what type of persecution or if we compare it to the type of persecution that the church did back in those days, we don't worry so much about that type of persecution, the, the, the worry of bodily harm, death. Um, there are some parts of the world that, that are um, under those types of persecutions, but here in America we're, we're blessed by God's grace. But during the time of this revelation, the seven churches receiving these letters were under Roman rule under either his, and some of this is debated, Nero or Domitian. The letter was meant for encouragement during these times and can be for encouragement to us now. You know, when you read Revelation, you, you read about all these almost seems like um, harsh things or very violent things, but they're written to us as an encouragement. For in verse 3, it said, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are to those who hear and to keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So you're blessed if you read these words and if you hear these words preached. So blessed. The Apostle John tells us he is in prison on the island of Patmos. Um, verses 9 through 11. He receives this vision from Jesus. Through his angel he says, verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, to Pergamum and to Thyatira, to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And this morning's sermon will focus on one of those seven churches the one that you probably hear the most about, the one that you're most familiar with more than likely, the church at Laodicea. For in my view, my experience, the things that I've seen and learned in my 50 short years, that's amazing, isn't it? Pastor Bill and Miss Karen married for 50 years. We celebrated their anniversary yesterday, and I just turned 50 years old. Not trying to make you feel old, brother. <laughs> just trying to make myself feel young. But amen. So we will focus on Laodicea. But in verse 19 of chapter 1, Jesus tells John in a vision, Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. So I want, you to, I want to point out three things about this verse. The past, present, and future are mentioned in this verse. The things which you have seen are found in chapter 1. The things which are found are in chapters 2 and 3, in which we will be focused on today, mainly chapter 3. And the things which shall be found are in chapters 4 through 21. Now there's 22 chapters. So today we will focus on the letter Jesus gives John in Revelation in verses 3, 14 through 22. Let's read those verses together. Chapter 3. To the church in Laodicea. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. And I'm mostly hot. 
Would you either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Translations, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That doesn't sound like a, something you would want Jesus to say about you. That he would vomit you out of his mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. So that you may be rich in white garments. So that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Remember Adam and Eve. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Remember it was Jesus who seemingly throughout his ministry on earth in the, in the incarnate form, in, in, in the flesh, as he healed many to be able to see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let's start over. Let's just go back to verse 14, and we'll take this verse by verse for the most part as we go through these verses down through verse 22. Verse 14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. What does Jesus do first in this verse here? He identifies himself. And as we will see as we go through this, we can almost identify him as almost as a doctor, you would say. Because as we go through these scriptures, as he talks about Laodicea, as he describes Laodicea, he kind of diagnoses their problem. And he gives a prognosis of their problem in case it continues on as it is. And Jesus gives a cure to the problem. Now we all know what the cure is. It's the same cure for any church that belongs to Christ. It's repentance. It's to repent from your sin and return to Him. You see, God is unchangeable. In fancy terms, we say He's immutable. The only one that changes is us, is me. God doesn't move. Whenever we seem to have fallen out of grace with God, it's not that God's moved away from us. As a lot of times we like to put it, that God has turned his back on us. God hasn't turned his back on us. We've moved and taken our eyes off him. And so he identifies himself. He is the amen. Now what does amen mean? You know, we hear a lot of amens. Um, even when people are talking out of spiritual terms, you'll hear someone that wants to validate what someone says with amen. Well, what does amen mean? Amen means truth. He means he is the validation of truth, meaning Jesus Christ. Remember, that's who we're identifying here. He's the validation of all truth. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. After which we all should say, Amen. See, I'm getting used to my uh, going, using my little tablet here. I'm used to having paper and flipping pages. So I'm getting used to this. Uh, but Jesus is truth. Uh, in John, the Apostle John, in, in his let, not letter, but in uh, 
when he writes in John 18, he says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. Remember, he's before Pilate, and Pilate's questioning him. And Jesus responds, and he says, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So it says, for I was born of this. So what is truth? Well, he is the truth. There is truth, truth that comes from outside the world and gives meaning to the world. The world doesn't make this truth. It doesn't shape or change this truth. It is the truth, not a truth for me and a different truth for you, but the truth for all of us, unchanging, absolute. Then he says, after he identifies him as the amen, he says in this next part of verse 14, the faithful and true witness on earth and in heaven. This is important. This, this part here is probably one of the most important parts to the whole thing in my estimation. He says, I know your works. He is saying, now he's speaking to the Laodiceans, I know your witness. In other words, your works, another way of saying the same thing is, I know your witness. We all want to make this a works-related thing, even though works does show our belief. We, we, we show our belief by what we do. In other words, he says, I know your heart. It's what Jesus is telling the Laodiceans. It's what he's telling the church today. It's what he's telling you and I today. As you got up and you came in this morning, as you thought about what may be preached, or you, as you gathered your mind, as you prayed, hopefully before you came in this morning, where is your heart? Um, as we gather before we, we serve the Lord's Supper once a month, and, and it's always brought up that the one thing, and, and, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, brought this up in his letter to the Corinthians, that if you have any sin about you, if there's any way about you, that you're not prepared for the taking of the Lord's Supper, not to take it unless you've repented of your sin. He says, because all things have happened to those that, that were not ready and took it in an unworthy manner, illness and even death. So he says, I know your heart. He says, you are self-glorifying and self-exalting people. In the Old Testament, he would have called them stiff-necked. Now, maybe that's more of a King James term. I'm not sure. But I remember reading in the Old Testament a lot, and Jesus calls his people, the Israelites, stiff-necked. So here in Revelation, he calls them wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. What a sad state of affairs to be called by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Wretched, pitiable, pitiable, poor. Now, you've got to understand, Laodicea was anything but these things on the outside. This was a place, this was a location who was known, that was known for its riches. They had gold beyond abundance. They had all the gold you could possibly imagine. They, they had riches beyond riches. Um, they were known for a school of doctors. They had doctors that could heal especially of the eyes because of their location with some of the things we'll talk about a little bit later. They, they, they were known for their doctors. 
So they, they, if you think about life in general, that's pretty much all there is to it, isn't it? We, we're born, we grow up, we get a job. Speaking of, they had gold. So you, it's all, you have to have money to get the things you need. And then you live life. And then the next thing you're concerned about is if you get sick, you want a doctor. And that's pretty much all there is to it if, if you're living in just a, a world without God, without uh, spiritual blessings without Jesus Christ, that's pretty much all you have to look forward to. It's kind of sad, isn't it? You know, as, as last night, my wife, Diane, is, she's had eye surgery for those that are part of the congregation know, and she had a little mishap last night. She pulled part of the little tube that was inserted by the doctor out last night, from, and uh, we, it kind of caused a little drama and a little... Um, you know, angst, and I, I'm, you know, as it would for anybody. And as I was preparing for the sermon, I was thinking, ah, Satan, one more time trying to get in the way of preparation for the sermon. Not you, of course, but yes. I needed to clarify that before I go home. He says, I know your works, I know your heart. So more on Jesus as a faithful witness. Some of the churches were faithful. Not all the churches were equally bad, the seven churches that these letters were sent to. But some were faithful in their witness on the inside, but their witness was lacking on the outside when they were outside the church. And then vice versa. Some were on the outside. They had the form of godliness, but on the inside they were ungodly people. You know there's people that are part of the church but not of the church, you could say. There's those who are of Israel, but not of Israel. In other words, the, the invisible church. So that's what he's saying to most of them. But this, this church at Laodicea had a different problem. He says their witness is important. They, they had lost what God had called them to do. And, and that is to be a faithful witness to the church. You and I, this morning, are you a faithful witness for the church? When we leave this place, when you go home, wherever it is that you call home, are you a faithful witness to God? Does your testimony draw true? Does, you know, I hear a lot of people, and testimony is good. There's, there's, testimony is a good thing. But don't confuse testimony with the gospel because they're not the same. Hopefully, though, your testimony glorifies God and not you. I hear a lot of testimonies, and, and they're compelling. They're drawing. They're, they, they have something about it that draws us to it, that that's, that's, you know, has that wow factor. But, but does your testimony draw someone else to Christ? Does it glorify, glorify Christ and not you? So, however, being a faithful witness leads to persecution and sometimes death. Some examples. The biggest one is Jesus Christ himself. He was God's true and faithful witness, as it describes in the scripture here in Revelation. Well, what happened to Jesus as the true and faithful witness? It put him on the cross at Calvary. Died the most agonizing death that anyone could imagine dying. I thought about the first deacon, Stephen, who even died at the hands of Saul, whom later on we know as Paul, the Apostle Paul. Remember how he 
deacon, uh, as a deacon, he was the first deacon. Remember, they, there were some widows of the church and some different things, and they needed people to take care of them. And so the apostles got to the disciples, the apostles got together and decided that they would come up with seven deacons, and Stephen being the first of those. And Stephen, filled with the Spirit, was preaching the word, was preaching the gospel. And what happened to Stephen? They took him out and did what? They stoned him. Now, you and I, again, we don't have to worry about that too much. If you go out and you, you speak the gospel to someone, you don't have to worry too much about being stoned to death today. Not in America, anyway, but persecution is here, and persecution is on the way. The third example, and I only gave three, is, is Paul himself. The Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. It's kind of ironic that he approved of the stoning of Stephen and then he was stoned himself later on one of his journeys. Left for dead, thought to be dead. He was shipwrecked. He was snake bit in many different ways and forms of the term. He, he, was, he was put in jail. He was flogged. But yet, you think about it, none of those things seem to deter the Apostle Paul. You know, because remember on the road to Damascus when he was blinded by the light, and Jesus asked him, Paul, Paul, or Saul, why do you persecute me? And what he meant by not just him personally, but he meant the church. Because what was Paul doing? He was going to Damascus to arrest other Jews who were believers of the way. They called it the way. It wasn't so much Christians then. Christians in that time, where that Christian name was more of a derogatory term. And by the way, it's kind of, here when I was small, it seemed like Christian was, you know, that was a name that you wanted to be associated with. But now it's getting to be in our everyday lives now. If you're called a Christian, it's turning out to be another derogatory term. It's turning out to be that way again, isn't it? And then what some groups call Christian is not really Christian. It seems to me if you're a Christian, then you're of Christ. Then you not just associate with Jesus Christ, not that he was just a good person, not that he was just a prophet, which he was, not that he was just any priest, which he was, prophet, priest, and king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, as the book of Revelation proclaims. So, I want to go back, and as if I recall correctly, and I, and I do listen when Pastor Bill preaches. He thinks I don't, but I do listen. He knows I do. He preached last Sunday, Colossians, to the church of Colossae. The first, or, or not the first, but verses, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And these are part of the, some of the verses that he preached on. So those of you that are family there, if you missed out on his sermon and didn't listen to him, this is part of what he said. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Now this is the last part of verse 14 in Revelation 3 where he says, remember we've already described him as the amen. We've described him as the faithful and true witness. Now we're describing Jesus as the beginning of God's creation. And Colossians 15, 23 explains that vividly. In verse 16, for by him all things were created. He is the creator in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him 
and for him. You see, you were create, created for God, for Jesus Christ, for his glory, not your glory, for his glory. What is our nature? What is the nature of mankind? We, what is the most favorite thing people love to hear? Their name. People want to hear their name called. If you don't believe that, you ought to become a school teacher and call a child by a name that's not his. Wow, you would think you, you said the most vile thing in the world. But as my wife knows, I'm the worst with names. I can't remember names. And, and, but the thing that we most love to hear is our name. We love people to say good things about us. We love people to lift us up. But the, thing that, but the things that we should be talking about and lifting up is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus. For it's by His grace. It was by His crucifixion. It was by His blood on the cross and His broken body that you're saved, that you have salvation. It's nothing of you. You could do nothing. You did nothing. For He says, you're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind. And by the way, he's speaking to the Laodiceans here today in this, in this scripture, but that's how you were before you were saved, before you received your, your salvation, your renewed life, your, rebirth, your new birth. See, that's who you were. That's who I am. But we need to have a very clear and vivid picture of ourselves as to who we are without Christ, without his sustaining hand today. You wouldn't even exist there's nothing about you that has good in it whatsoever outside of the Holy Spirit living within you and Jesus Christ standing before God as you're accused by Satan each and every day of all the things that you've done wrong and as he tries to get you to, to kneel down and bow down to Satan. But Christ stands in defense of you. You see, when God sees you, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. It's the only way you can stand by, before a holy God. Verse 17 of Colossians, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. That's us, believers. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. There's a word that Pastor Bill really tried to drive home to us last week, that he is preeminent. He is. Another word that you could fill in the blank there beside it is, he is sovereign. He is sovereign. That's what I like about the name of this church. He is sovereign, sovereign grace. Verse 18 is what I just read that he is preeminent. Verse 19, for in, in, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see, when he came to earth, he left behind his glory in heaven, but he did not leave behind his deity. He was Jesus, he was man of man, but God of God. He was man in the flesh, but truly God. He was God. He says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So as you can see, in Revelation, where he says, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, the beginning of everything is Jesus Christ. It wasn't that there was a certain time that he started, that he began. He was before the beginning. But the important part is, 
he was the firstborn from the dead. He was resurrected. And that validated everything that he ever taught when he walked upon earth for about 33 so years. You know, I, I'm, one of the things that I'm most amazed about when I read the Bible, especially of in, in, the, um, in the book of John, where, you know, it speaks of, of his walk that um, in 33 years, and you think about it, we can't go two seconds without having a sinful thought pass through our minds. Whether that you're thinking as you're sitting there, as I probably would be, that I'm bored to death, that I'm, I'm ready to go eat. Amen. It's truth. Whatever it may be, it's, it's almost unfathomable to think that here is a, a man who walked 33 years on earth without one single sinful thought passing through his mind. Wow. He had to be the son of God. He had to be God himself. It's the only way that could occur. Why did he do those things that he did? He healed the sick. He did those things. People were amazed by it. They followed him. Did they believe who he said he was to be? No. They were amazed by the things he did, but he was validating himself as God himself. He's, he's the son of God. Verses 15 through 16. He says, I know you works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would you that were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, as I said earlier, when he says spit, another word you could replace there is vomit. Man, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? Jesus says I could vomit you out of my mouth. Doesn't sound like he's very happy with these folks at Laodicea, does it? How would you like to... Now, that, that's... I'm going to have to borrow that when the next time I'm teaching at school and the kids are misbehaving. I could vomit you out of my mouth. How harsh. That sounds kind of cruel, doesn't it? <laughs> Jesus says, in effect, that what he's saying is, I not only know what you have done or what you've did, but I also know why you did it. See, we do things... And, and we like to cover it up with a veil of goodness. We do things and we want people to say, look at so-and-so, look at me. I did this, this good deed. I'm, I'm holy. There's something good about me. But you see, it's the intention. It's why you did it. Did you do it to glorify Christ or did you, did you do it to glorify self? You see, that's, that's what you've got to get to the point. That's what you've got to understand. He says... I not only know what you have done, but I know why you did it. So Jesus is also speaking here of his sovereignty and his omniscience. Because he knows. See, that's the thing. You may fool people sitting around you when you come to church and when you dress up in your Sunday best and you do your good deeds. You may fool other people, but there's one that you never can fool. There's one that you can never get by, and that's Jesus himself. He's, he's sovereign. He's omniscient. He knows all about you, everything. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything. You are, he's, he's telling these, these, uh, these church, this church at Laodicea that you're self-exalting. He's telling them that they're self-reliant. You say you have no need, but you are the church in greatest need. That's where we're going to know, because he says, I know your works are neither cold nor hot. 
I remember watching this, I guess it was on, it was a video on Facebook or something I was watching, and it was a missionary, missionary, and he was interviewing, he had, he was in China, and he was talking to about 13, it was a little small church, house church there, and he was speaking to them, and it was being recorded, of course, how I saw it. <laughs> I didn't have a vision. Okay. And, and after he talked to them and he was asking them all these questions about their faith and why they did what they did under such persecution because if they were caught, there's, who knows, they could be put in jail, in prison, even killed. And so he, he, he asked them, was there anything before it was over? He said, is there anything that I could pray for you? Is there one thing that you would have me pray for? And they said, yes. This lady spoke up, one of the ladies sitting there, and she said, I, I would want you to pray that we would have the freedom, that we could be like you in America, that we could worship as we please, that we could go and come as we please, that we, could, we wouldn't have to hide and such and, and have a, a church in, in, in a house somewhere, that we could be open about our beliefs. And, and the missionary says, that I won't do. He said, that I cannot do. He said, but what I will do, he said that I will pray that the churches in America would become more like you. Because, see, where it seems where we have the biggest freedoms, where we have the most lead way, we don't have to worry about things. When we're not persecuted, we don't depend upon Christ. We take our eyes off of Christ, and we start looking to self, and we become self-reliant, and we think we can do all things for ourselves. You've heard that saying, I pull myself up by my bootstraps. Maybe that's an Owen, Pastor Bill, I don't know, but I've heard that saying before. And it's a self-reliant, self-exalting expression. It's saying you did it by yourself. And there's some good qualities about that separate from this, but when you look at it in and of itself, though, is you're, you're, you're taking Jesus out of the equation. You can do nothing for yourself without Jesus Christ. There's nothing good you can do for yourself. We'll give a little bit of a geography lesson to Laodicea. Now, if I was teaching this in a classroom, I'd have a screen up here with pictures of all the stuff that I read about that you could point and you could actually look at and see and have vivid in your mind. I, I, if you would, when you go home, if you'll pull this up, it'll become even clearer to you as the way things are. But Laodicea is located about six, five or six miles from the church in, in Colossae. Okay? and about 11 miles from Aeropolis. Colossae, of course, there's about a triangle, there's a little spot there. All these places for Gia's in Asia Minor, they're right there together, they're not far apart, a lot of these churches. These seven churches that these letters were written to are fairly close together. But Colossae was known for its springs of cold water. That was, you see, one thing Laodicea did not have, they had money, they had gold, they had doctors, of, of every type. They were very intellectual. They had a lot of things, but the one thing that they lacked physically was water. They didn't have a good water supply. So they had to have it piped in via an aqueduct. And, and Colossae was known for their very cold water. Now on a hot day, and if you're like me, as some of you laughed about me this morning, laughed with me, I should say, is I've got this condition now, the polycythemia, where 
My blood is real thick due to an excess of red blood cells in my blood, and I sweat easily. Just get to the point, I sweat very easily. And most people that sweat very easily don't smell too good either. So if you were here when I first got here and as we were setting up, you saw that I had on a different shirt. And right before we started that I had changed clothes, changed shirts, because I was soaked. Because of that thick blood, my heart has to work extra hard and I sweat very easily. And it's funny in some ways, but it's aggravating in another. I pray to Lord for His grace that we can come to some type of um, remedy for this. But as, as he told Paul, he says, my grace is sufficient for thee. So that may be my answer. But anyway, so Colossae had to pop in this water. Now if you can imagine, if you have, you, you go outside right now, the humidity just sits on you, right? And it's hot. In fact, today I saw where the heat index is supposed to be around 102. So I would go inside, stay inside if I could. But it's, it's, it's going to be hot. Now, if it's on a hot day and you've been working outside, when you come in and you go over and you, get a, and you have a bottle of water, one of the things that you don't want is, is lukewarm water. You, you probably spit it out. If I've been working, you know, outside and all, and I come in, or if I'm, I'm somewhere, if I'm at school and I've been outside with the kids, and I come in and I'm sweaty because I'm sweaty anyway, and I come in, and of course the kids are always sweaty and they're always smelly. I thought, woo. But when you come in and you go to the water fountain, the one thing, there's always, it seems like, two water fountains side by side. And it seems like without doubt, no matter where you are, what school you're in, one of them works and one doesn't. And so we're going to have a fight over who gets to drink out of the one that's producing cold water. And so when they take a sip out of that, and sometimes they don't know which one, and they take a sip out of the one that's, that's not producing cold water, oh, they about spit it back into the sink there. They spit it back out. That's kind of how this is when this water comes through. It's cold, but by the time it reaches this city, this, this place, Laodicea, it's lukewarm. And then you have the op you have Aeropolis. And Aeropolis was known for its hot water springs that, were, that had a lot of calcium in it. It had large amounts of calcium that was used for medicinal purposes. Um, mainly the Laodicean doctors used it to make an eye salve to help, the, the eye, help with eye disease. So they had all these doctors and they used this. But they also, so they had a water supply about 11 miles coming in, being piped in from, from Aeropolis. And as you can imagine, by the time the water reaches the city, guess what? It's no longer very hot anymore. It's lukewarm itself. Okay? So, it's, so what I'm saying is the water is no longer, this is what Jesus is telling the church. The water is no longer suitable for its purpose. You see, I, I believe what Jesus is getting at here, it's their, it's their location to the resource. They, 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 they've, they've, gone, they've turned away from their source. They're, 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 they've become lukewarm. They, they haven't stayed a true and faithful witness. That's the reason he states that in verse 14, because they're, they're not a true and faithful witness anymore. That's what they were called for, to be a true and faithful witness. That's what you and I are called for. Now, what happens when you leave this place? What happens to people, and I hear people all the time, they claim to be Christian, but they don't like going to church. Some even say, well, I can stay home and watch that on TV. I can listen to that on the radio. 
Well, when you get away from the source, when you get away from other believers who have a strong faith in Christ and who worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, guess what? You have a chance, you have a possibility of becoming lukewarm. You lose your faithfulness, you lose your witness. And that's something that Jesus is charging this church at Laodicea with. Some people say it was their passion, and maybe so. But when you don't fellowship with the saints, when you're not around other believers, when you, when you don't read your Bible on a regular basis and pray over it before you read it, that God would give you insight and discernment and, and would, would, would reveal to you a revelation, when He would reveal to you what it's saying, when you don't do those things, you become lukewarm and He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's what He's telling. Remember, this is the church of Laodicea. These are His people. He, this is the church. He's not saying this to unbelievers. Believe it or not, this is, these are believers. This is a church. These seven churches, they all had problems. It seems this church at Laodicea had the biggest problem because he didn't have much say to say about them that was good, did he? If you read the whole thing, we did read the whole thing. So Laodicea, Laodicea was an extremely rich city. They had gold in abundance. They, they were renowned for their medical schools that produced doctors that healed them. They were also well known for their black wool and for textiles. So they had all these things. So you can see that when you have all these things, you almost come to the conclusion they didn't need anything else. At least so they thought. They became self-reliant. They had taken off their eyes off of Christ for their true needs. So Laodicea was so rich. Now, here's another point to just drive home how they thought of themselves. Around 60 A.D., there was... They had an earthquake there that was very powerful. In fact, the whole city there at Laodicea was totally destroyed. Now remember, they're under Roman rule during this time. And as the government does today in times when we have hurricanes come through and we have FEMA and they give money to rebuild, well, the Roman Empire offered to send money to help rebuild the city. This city, the people in it were so rich and had gold in so much abundance that they refused the money. They said, no, we will rebuild it ourselves. And they did. That's how rich they are. How many people you know today that when the government offers a handout, they turn it down? Not many that I know of. So they have become self-exalted. They became prideful. Isn't that the problem? Wasn't that the problem with Adam and Eve? Became prideful. They refused government help. They said they didn't need anything from anybody else. They would rebuild themselves. So, but the people that seems to be in most need are the ones that said they didn't have any need. So let's kind of recap the few verses that we've, we've talked about. Jesus is identified. He identifies himself in, in verse 14. And, and I identified him. He's basically the doctor, if you will. And he is sovereign and omniscient. And he's the one that the Laodiceans didn't feel they needed anymore. So then next... He diagnosed their disease. They had lost their witness as adopted sons for God. Now he's going to give them their symptoms of their disease. Verse 17. For you say I am rich, I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, 
pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So he says, so they say to Laodiceans, I am rich and without need. Who in here can say that? Even if your bank account has a million dollars in it, who in here can say that they're rich and without need? Some of the most richest people I knew are some of the most poor people I know. Now, it doesn't say that money in and of itself is evil. Okay? It's, it's what you do. It's, it's, it's your intent with that money. Does that money become your idol? Number two, they're saying that we're self-reliant. We do not need anything. Therefore, we're, they, they were self-exalting, self-glorifying. They had gone 180 degrees against the very purpose for their creation by the Creator Himself. So next, Jesus gives them the cure. Verse 18 through 20, the cure. He says, I counsel you to buy gold from me. Now remember, or he says, I, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. What does he mean by that? He's talking about spiritual gold, divine truth. He is the truth. So that you may be rich. He's saying all that money you have is worthless. What you need is me, Jesus. He says, and you need white garments. Remember the black wool that they were famous for? And all the textiles that they, were, they produced and sent out? They, 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 see, the rich, they, they wore these things and they were proud people. But he said they're, they're naked and pitiable. So he says, I will provide you with white garments. And that's in contrast to the black wool. So that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. You see, you think you're clothed and you, you think you're rich, but you're naked and pitiable. Wow. And then he says, that may not be seen. And he says, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus was the only one able to give eyes to see with. You see, a lot of people read the Bible and they, they say, you know, they, they just remember Nicodemus. He had the big trouble with, with Jesus and, and with, you know, with, with what it means to be reborn. Basically, he didn't have eyes to see with. Who gives you that? Jesus, Holy Spirit. So now Jesus, so we've, we've, we've gone through the, now we're going to get to the cure. We've gone through the symptoms. Now the cure, verse 19. The cure for their disease, he says, those whom I love, and by the way, this is the church, let's don't forget that. These are believers. He said, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. That's what he's calling on you and I for this morning, to be zealous and to repent, to be a true and faithful witness to Christ Jesus. Be zealous and repent. Do you have a need to repent of anything this morning? Are you zealous for Christ? So this is the church. These are adopted heirs of the kingdom. What, what do parents do when, when they discipline their, their kids? They do it out of love. They do it out of love. And Christ loves those whom the Father has given to him. Remember, they're, they're the sheep, and they hear the shepherd's voice, and they know him by name. So he draws you to him. You don't go to him. He comes to you. And that's what he gets to in this last verse. Verse 20 says, now a lot of people love to look at this as an evangelical verse. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. It's very important here. And here's the significance to me when it says, when he says, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and eat with him and he with me. To me, it alludes there also to the Lord's Supper. Remember, he says, I will eat with you and you with me. Isn't that what we do when we partake of the elements during the Lord's Supper? And what is the cure that he gives them here? Be zealous and repent. Before you take of the Lord's Supper, what are you to do? Be zealous for Christ and repent before you partake of it. You see, we don't believe in transubstantiation as the Catholics do, that the very elements themselves are the very body of Christ and such and such. But in a very real way, we don't like to even come close to this, but what we have to understand during the Lord's Supper and during any time, that the Christ is always present, though. He is here. He is aware. So he calls for repentance. He calls his own sheep, and the sheep hear his voice. So that's, that's, that's the cure. That's, that's, that's what the cure is. Repent. Be zealous. Keep your, be a true and faithful witness for Christ. So closing remarks, why I know you're, as my brother did, he got up and went on and got something to eat. He, well, he wasn't kidding. When he said amen, he meant it. Man, I respect a man like that. <laughs> so in closing, the Laodiceans have become self-reliant and self-exalting, and so had taken their eyes off of Christ Jesus. They have separated themselves from the source of eternal life, Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling them to repent and to return to the one who can truly heal their eyes, to the one who can cover their nakedness with white garments, to the one who can give them riches that are eternal, gold refined by fire. And I'll finish with Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father, I thank, thank you for your grace this morning. Father, I pray as I stumbled along in my speech and my thoughts that, Father, there, there's no worries there for your Holy Spirit. Father, as it says in Romans, offers up prayers that, that are too deep for me to understand. That, Father, that the things that you would have me to say, Father, that they, they weren't of me, they were of you. That, that I pray that your Holy Spirit is spoken into the hearts of each and every person here this morning. And Father, I pray that as we leave here that we remain true and faithful witnesses to your word, to your Son, Jesus Christ. And that, Father, that, that we wouldn't become like the Laodiceans, Father, that we wouldn't become self-exalting and prideful. That, Father, that we would remain and, and, and realize that we are dependent upon you for all things that are good. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.